God's Plan for Victory, The Meaning of Postmillennialism by R.J. Restuni Narrated by Jeremy Walker Produced with permission by the Chalcedon Foundation Chapter 2 Vitality in Christian Faith A study of hospital patients in relationship to their life expectancy reportedly came to the conclusion there was a strong correlation between life expectancy and future-oriented thinking. A man whose mind looked ahead to activities a year hence was more likely to live than one whose thinking was only in terms of the daily hospital routine. Those without a future in mind had no future as a rule. This conclusion should not surprise us. Man, having been created in the image of God, is created with a mind which is not chained to the moment. Physically, man is bound to the hour. He cannot step backwards in time to ages past, nor can he move to the future by a sudden leap, jumping over intervening years in a second. For the Almighty, all history is present before Him. God is not bound by time, because He is the Creator of time, as of all things. Before the foundation of the world, he ordained and decreed all things that come to pass, so that the beginning and the end of creation are always totally before him. God is beyond history, but not a second nor a hair of all history is ever beyond him or outside of his government and vision. He is the Lord, the Almighty. Because man is created in the image of God, Man has, intellectually, the same ability, on a creaturely level. He can see, as in a glass darkly, the beginning and the end, when his thinking and vision are governed by God and his word. Even without faith, man thinks and plans, studies history and himself, and is not chained to the moment. However, without faith in God, man loses the meaning of the moment as well as the past and the future. Man lives in time and history, and if he finds no meaning therein, he retreats from time and history into a convent world, which, because it does not exist, means then a retreat into death. Hellenberger has written, quote, What we call the feeling of the, quote, meaning of life, unquote, cannot be understood independently of the subjective feeling of experienced time. Distortions of the feeling of time necessarily result in distortions of the meaning of life. Normally, we look upon the future not only for itself, but also for the compensating and correcting the past and the present. We reckon on the future for paying our debts, achieving success, enjoying life, becoming good Christians. Wherever the future becomes empty, as with manics and certain psychopaths, life is a perpetual gamble and the advantage of the present minute is taken into consideration. Wherever the future is inaccessible or blocked, as with the depressed, hope necessarily disappears, and life loses all meaning." Unquote. A future-oriented faith thus means a perspective which plans to correct past errors in future action, but also to rebuild in the future without those errors or sins. To the degree that future orientation is lacking in a society, to that extent, is not only stagnant, but also lacks the vitality to correct and to rebuild. Minkowski, in discussing a case of schizophrenic depression, 
says of the patient, quote, There was no action or desire which, emanating from the present, reached out to the future, spanning the dull, similar days. As a result, each day kept an unusual independence, failing to be immersed in the precipitation of any life continuity. Each day began life anew, like a solitary island in a gray sea of passing time. What had been done, lived and spoken, no longer played the same role as in our lives because there seemed to be no wish to go further. Every day was an exasperating monotony of the same words, the same complaints, until one felt this being had lost all sense of necessary continuity. Such was the march of time for him. However, our picture is still incomplete. An essential element is missing in it. The fact that the future was blocked by the certainty of a terrifying and destructive event. This certainty dominated the patient's entire outlook, and absolutely all of his energy was attached to this inevitable event. Unquote. The same is true of non-schizoid people. In 1972, more than a few people reported to me their concern over friends and relations who, lacking any faith, had read Gary Allen's None Dare Call It Conspiracy, 1972, and had concluded that a dreaded seizure of all things by the semi-omnipotent mythical insiders awaits the world. Their reaction became at times suicidal. Their ability to work and to function was impaired, and they lived a minimal life of fear and dread. We recognize that premillennial hope is not on the same level. It has indeed its dreaded event, the Great Tribulation. Some hold that the church will be, quote, raptured, unquote, before the tribulation, others during, and some after. The, quote, rapture, unquote, however, is a blessed event, a delivery into heaven. This hope, however, is personal, not social. The world as a whole is seen as on a futile course, so there is no hope in any kind of social action, nor in Christian reconstruction. As a result, there is a purely other-worldly orientation and a contempt for history and for time. Amillennialism has no, quote, rapture, unquote, and sees history deteriorating steadily to the end, and as a result, it has not surprisingly created churches moving into decline and paralysis. Thus, both amillennialism and premillennialism have the same social impact as schizophrenic depression. They produce a blocked future, a future which offers no hope with respect to history and time. But they do have a hope with respect to eternity. However, we have the right to ask of many of them how valid their hope is, since our Lord emphatically declares that the test of faith is a very practical one. Do men bear good fruit here and now? Matthew seven fifteen through 20 Quote, The peaceful fruit of righteousness, unquote, Hebrews twelve eleven, is simply the result of God's chastening of His sons to cleanse them of fruitlessness and to lead them into righteousness, and it means results here and now. Quote, the night cometh, when no man can work, unquote, John 9, 4. If Christians have a blocked future, then the world is in a fearful condition, because it is Christians who are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Matthew 5, 
The impact of eschatology on man has been noted of late by various historians. Thus, Gary North has written, quote, The Puritans of the first generation were motivated with a postmillennial vision of earthly victory. They were to reform the world through preaching and godly reconstruction. By 1660, a radical pessimism had replaced the earlier eschatological optimism. The younger generation had not been converted in terms of the charismatic requirements of Christian experience. A hostile king was back on the throne in England. The Holy Commonwealth seemed to be collapsing. The inherited canons of medieval economics seemed inapplicable. No one knew how to deal with economic crises, upward social mobility, and market laws like profit and loss. A kind of social antinomianism set in as pastors preached general sermons against non-specific sins, but avoided offering concrete alternatives to the collapsing medieval framework. Eschatological pessimism combined with social antinomianism to produce later Puritan pietism, marked most dramatically by the Mathers. Premillennialism, emotional and defeated in politics, increased and Cotton Mather turned to the preaching of individual salvation and the creation of voluntary self-help societies. Franklin learned from Cotton Mather the importance of doing good. He did not grasp the theology that Cotton relied on in the doing of human good. Unquote. A very central force which led to the stand by the colonies against the usurpations of power over them by England Parliament was renewed postmillennialism. Jonathan Edwards held that the latter-day glory is probably to begin in America. He wrote, quote, It is agreeable to God's manner when he accomplishes any glorious work in the world in order to introduce a new and more excellent state of his church, to begin where no foundation had already been laid, that the power of God might be the more conspicuous, that the work might appear to be entirely God's and be more manifestly a creation out of nothing, agreeable to Hosea 1.10. Quote, And it shall come to pass, that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Unquote. When God is about to turn the earth into a paradise, he does not begin his work where there is some good growth already, but in the wilderness, where nothing grows, and nothing is to be seen but dry sand and barren rocks that the light may shine out of darkness, the world be replenished from emptiness, and the earth watered by the springs from a drouthy desert, agreeable to many prophecies of Scripture, as Isaiah 32.15. Until the Spirit be poured from on high, and the wilderness become a fruitful field. Unquote. And chapter 41, 18.19. I will open rivers in high places, and fountains in the midst of the valleys, I will make the wilderness a pool of water, and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, and the cedar tree, and the myrtle, and the olive tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree, and the pine, and the box tree together. Unquote. And chapter 43.20, I will give waters in the wilderness, and rivers in the desert, to drink to my people, my chosen. Unquote. And many other parallel scriptures might be mentioned. Now, as when God is about to do some great work for his church, his manner is to begin at the lower end. So when he is about to renew the whole inhabited earth, it is probable that he will begin with his utmost 
meanest, youngest, and weakest part of it, where the church of God has been planted last of all. And so the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And that will be fulfilled in an imminent manner. In Isaiah 24:19. quote, From the uttermost part of the earth have we heard songs, even glory to the righteous, unquote. Joseph Balamy, 1719-1790, saw a glorious future for the world, during which more will be saved, quote, than ever before dwelt upon the face of the earth from the foundation of the world, unquote. In fact, he pointed out that if the era of triumph lasted a literal thousand years, then the view of population growth, quote, about 17,000 would be saved to one lost, unquote. Samuel Hopkins, 1721-1803, through 1803, dedicated, quote, a treatise on the millennium, unquote, quote, to the people who shall live in the days of the millennium, unquote. Among other things, Hopkins said of this glorious era, quote, but when the millennium shall begin, the inhabitants shall then be on the earth, will be disposed to obey the divine command to subdue the earth, and to multiply in the, until they have filled it, and they will have skill, and be under all desirable advantage to do it, and the earth will be soon replenished with the inhabitants and be brought into a state of high cultivation and improvement in every part of it, and will bring forth abundantly for the full supply of it, and there will be many thousand times more people than ever existed before at once in the world. Then the following prophecy which relates to the day shall be fulfilled, quote, A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation, I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. Unquote. Isaiah 60, 22. And there is reason to think the earth will be then, in some degree, enlarged in more ways than can now be mentioned or thought of. In many thousands, hundreds of thousands, yea, millions of instances, large tracts now covered with water, coves, and arms of the sea, may be drained or the water shut out by banks and walls so that the hundreds of millions of persons may live on those places and be sustained by the produce of them, which are now overflowed with water. Who can doubt of this? Who recollects how many millions of people now inhabit Holland and the Low Countries, the greatest part of which was once covered with the sea, or thought not to be capable of improvement? Other instances may be mentioned. Though there will be so many millions of millions of people on earth at the same time, this will not be the least inconvenience to any, but the contrary, for each one will be fully supplied with all he wants, and they will all be united in love, as brethren of one family, and will be mutual helps and blessings to each other. They will die, or rather, fall asleep, and pass into the invisible world, and others will come on the stage in their room. But death then will not be attended with the same calamitous and terrible circumstances as it has been and is now, and will not be considered as an evil. It will not be brought on with long and painful sickness, or be accomplished with any great distress of body or mind. They will be in all respects ready for it, and welcome it with the greatest comfort and joy. Everyone will die at the time and in the manner which will be the best for him, and all with whom he is connected. And the death will not bring distress on surviving relatives and friends, and they will rather rejoice than mourn. While they have a lively sense of the wisdom and goodness of the will of God, and of the greater happiness of the invisible world to which they beloved friends are gone, and where they expect soon to arrive, 
so that in that day, death will in great measure lose his sting and have the appearance of a friend and be welcomed by all as such. Unquote. According to Bushman, these and other men with Bellamy as an outstanding leader changed the character of their people and created the Yankee of the years after 1765. In the earlier eras, men who felt called of God sought refuge from the world in a convent. Later on, under the influence of pietism, the church itself became a convent in the world, a refuge from problems and from the currents of social movements and forces. In the modern era, secular man has sought for the convent experience in various forms of escapism, retreats, mental health asylums, retirement, and many other avenues of surrender. Postmillennial thinking was very important in the formation and development of the United States between 1765 and 1860. It is impossible to understand the development of the United States apart from this eschatology. A secular scholar, George Shepperson, in describing pagan and Christian forms millenarianism, commented of all these groups and in particular of the movement in Nassauland, quote, Like so many similar movements in other parts of the world, the expectations take a dramatic premillennial form. The savior or delivering agency comes before and not, as in the case of postmillennialism, after the battle against the forces of evil. Premillennialism always means a deep distrust of the orthodox forces of reform open to a society. Unquote. This is a point of very great importance. Whether in its secular and political forms, wherein the millennium is to be brought in not by reconstruction but by violent revolution, or in its religious form, wherein a supernatural act brings forth the millennium, millenarian groups are hostile to reform and reconstruction. In recent church history, this has been conspicuously the case. Premillennial churches, with rare expectation, have been unwilling to fight against the inroads of modernism into their denominations. Too often they have preferred to sit back and view this as a sign of, quote, the end times, unquote, and as proof that the rapture is near. In my own experience within a major American church, I saw premillennialists deliberately and by a vowed statement to me come late to meetings where their vote could have led to the recapture of a synod because they refused to be involved in trying to, quote, reform, unquote, the church. It was to them, quote, unspiritual, unquote, activity, and they felt assured that apostasy was ordained of God as a prelude to the, quote, rapture, unquote. In the colonial era, men like Reverend Thomas Clapp, 1703 to 1767, took little interest in theological development and advance, and contended themselves as against Joseph Bellamy, to stamp out heresy. The character of modern amillennialism is not unlike that of Clapp and his old lights. It is indifferent to the world at large, content to hold the line, to repeat old theological formulations instead of developing them in terms of the problems of the day, and more interested in stamping out heresy than in advancing the faith. The various Reformed and Orthodox Presbyterian churches are excellent examples of this, with minor expectations here and there. Not surprisingly, the New Lights, led by Bellamy, soon became a commanding force in Connecticut. Bushman wrote, quote, In 1763, William Johnson marveled that the New Lights, who in his memory, quote, were a small party, merely a religious one, unquote, had, quote, acquired such an influence as to be nearly the ruling part of the government 
owing to their superior attention to civil affairs and close union among themselves in politics. Unquote. A far greater influence and power awaits us today.